means to persevere or to endure bravely and not lose heart when facing, now I want you to watch here, two different categories, two different kinds of things that are going on. We go back and pick up a little bit of what was said last week about the farmer, the illustration of the farmer. Don't lose heart when you face troubles and misfortunes, and that can happen just outside. But then, patience involves another thing. It also involves not losing heart and enduring bravely when the offenses and injuries of others come into our lives. And that's why I believe that when, when James is encouraging us and encouraging these, these Christians way back when to be patient, he uses three different el- illustrations. Last week we talked about the first, be patient like a farmer. And what was the key thought that we talked about last week? Keep on yeah, I'm glad you guys picked up on it. Keep on working. And, and let's use a less glamorous word that we talked about last week. Keep on plodding. P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G. The Christian life is not largely a glamorous life. Okay? It is one of doing those daily things and doing the common, let's put it like this, as best we can, uncommonly well, all right? That's what plodding is. And so while the farmer waits for the rains, he can't can't determine. He has to depend upon God for the rains to give life to the crops. But he is busy. He's working. He's pulling weeds. There's nothing glamorous about pulling weeds. He's breaking up clods. He's doing all of the things that farmers need to do in the interim so that the plants can grow and the harvest can be harvested. Now, today we look at be patient like the prophets who keep on speaking. They, look what it says, they spoke in the name of the Lord. And and this is interesting, it says, take the prophets. It's a different, kind of a different nuance. I figured that it would be the same kind of word as consider. But it's it's not just look at, but, but take it. Receive. When you look back and see the example of the Old Testament prophets, you need to not only look and consider, but you need to take it in. Take in their example. Receive. Lay hold of. In the fact that the prophets continued to speak in the name of the Lord. And primarily they spoke to God's people, but they also spoke to the world around them in the face of opposition. And then let's notch it up a little bit, not only opposition, but persecution. And let's notch it up a little bit more, even death. In the name of the Lord. I'm going to tell you a minute, in just a minute, how often in the Old Testament when the prophets are mentioned that it says something akin to, thus says the Lord. They heard the Lord speak to them. And so to speak in the name of the Lord simply means this. Now, now here's what we always want to do. We're not talking about a bunch of guys that lived in ancient times. We're talking about those of us who are Christ followers. What do we take in from the prophets? Here's what they did. And here's what we need to do too. They did as they were told. 
all right? There may be a, a couple of little parentheses or caveat there, but primarily they did what they were told. They delivered God's message to God's covenant people. They delivered the message of mercy and of judgment. And they did so in the face of opposition, as I said a minute ago, persecution and even death. Now, I want to try to get at something, and I I, I felt like we needed to, to separate this out, and this is a good place to do it. When talking about suffering, okay, and that's what we're talking about. Being patient in the face of suffering, I basically see from the Scriptures and from life two kinds of suffering. And so I want to just go over that for a minute because we need to distinguish between a general kind of suffering, a universal kind of suffering that happens to all people both those who are non-Christians as well as those who are Christians. It's universal. It is no respecter of persons. I have been asked this question over the years, not just as a pastor, but as, as, as a Christian. And particularly when I'm engaging in conversation with someone who is not coming from a Christian background, inevitably this question will come up. Maybe you've heard it. Why Is there suffering and evil in the world? And so when I started studying this, I I wrote that question down and I wanted to see, I've I've talked to enough non-Christians to kind of get a feel, but I wanted to refresh myself. So this last week, I looked at several, and be careful when you do this, because it's not always uh, easy and it's not always clean and sanitary and all the rest of that. But I I looked at some websites, primarily blog sites, of atheist bloggers. And I read, and and I've read some of the ones who are the, the PhDs and all the rest of that. I wanted to see what the average everyday atheist was saying and thinking. And basically, here's, here's what it boiled down to. There was an expletive in this particular blog site, but I thought this, this guy has really, I think he's captured the thought of a lot of the people that are out there, a lot of people that are, 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 well, struggling. He didn't seem to be struggling with all of this, but he basically said, here's why there's suffering and evil in the world, because stuff happens, except he didn't say the word stuff. No particular reason, and certainly no specific purpose other than it, stuff happens. It's a simple matter of cause and effect. No purpose, no plan, and no hope. Now, in some of the blogs, they talked about purpose and meaning in life, but there was never any basic thought of hope as we would define it. Now, what is so fascinating? This has always fascinated me. In every, everything that I read, they always managed to get in several digs about God and about Christians who believe in God. Isn't it amazing 
that they spend so much time talking about someone that they say they don't even believe in. I think that tells us something that the Scriptures tell us too about the fact that that which is known about God is put into the human heart, though fallen. But here is the thing, I mentioned this word a minute ago, there is no hope for them. Now let's switch over to what we believe about that. As believers, what do we do? Do we go to a blog site? Do we go to what a preacher says? Do we go to just something that we've learned? Here's what we go to. We go to God's Word, which claims for itself to be infallible, and it gives us everything that we need to know. That's why we use this little phrase as as a part of what we believe, sola scriptura. Scripture alone tells us everything we need to know for life and for godliness. And so, because of the Scripture, we know that we are living in a universe. I'm going to use the word cosmos, okay? Kind of a Carl Sagan term there. But we live in a cosmos that is dying, that is decaying. In other words, science shows this. There's absolutely no doubt that other than the the, the micro thing about plants growing and, and producing fruit, the whole, the, the whole cosmos is devolving, dying and decaying and wearing out, rather than evolving into better systems. And so we know that all of that, and the suffering and the pain because of loss and death that goes with it, is a result of man's disobedience going all the way back, man's disobedience in the garden and the entrance of sin, and with the entrance of sin, the entrance of evil and suffering. Folks, it's not just a world thing that we live in. It's a cosmos thing. It's cosmological. Do you know how we know that? Now, I I want you to look at a couple of verses that I've got up here, and you you could jot these down and go back and look at these and study these because it's so important to see what Paul believed, and he believed what Jesus believed, and they both believed what the Bible says. But but here, here is a statement here that would rock the world of evolutionary thought if we just took it to heart. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Who was that one man? Adam, we know that. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now let's jump to chapter 8 of Romans. Chapter 5 and chapter 8 of Romans are incredible to talk about how we got into the mess that we are in today with the suffering, with the sin, with the evil, with the pain, with the loss that's in the world. Now, this is rather lengthy, but I want you to see this. This is important. The creation, now now he expands the thought, not just our world, but the cosmos. The creation was subjected to futility as a result of the fall of Adam into sin. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, here's that word, that the creation itself 
will someday be set free from its bondage to decay. Long before modern scientists thought that up, God was saying it to a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul many years ago. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation is groaning. Creation is looking forward. Creation has a hope that someday at the coming of Christ, we talked about the second coming several weeks ago. At his second coming, all things will be made right. Things will be restored. And I'm, you remember I said we're not talking about any particular timetable, but there will be a new heavens and new earth. Not only do his, his children get a, a glorified body, Look at that, not only the creation, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly, don't we? Christian, don't you, don't you sometimes find yourself groaning as you wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies? Don't you? I shared with you a couple of weeks, I know I do. So try as we may, and and I'm not talking about just outside the church, but sometimes in the church, try as we may to to deny it or to, to postpone it or put it off, you simply cannot stop death as a natural consequence of living. Now, I will tell you this, you can adopt certain lifestyles, that will speed up that process. You can adopt lifestyles like that, habits that will speed up the the process, drugs, alcohol, tobacco, abusing the body in a variety of ways, sexual activities, retiring. No kidding, I I was thinking about how, how how do people speed up the process of death? And there have been studies done. Some of you are aware of this. You've always heard that if, if a person retires, this is anecdotal, but it's true. Science has shown this, that when people retire and don't do anything, there's no meaning or purpose in their life. It's amazing. How many of you have known somebody who retired, worked hard all their lives, retired, and within a year they were dead? Sometimes within months, see? You, you know that is true. So even those things that are that are in opposition to the Scripture, they will speed the process. That's just an aside, okay? Let's get back to it. So what advantage does the Christian have over the non-Christian? We've seen it in the Scripture. The Word is hope. Okay? The Word is hope. Now, there are two different ways of looking at hope. Uh, An atheist hope is, I wish, I, I, I hope, it's wishful thinking. I hope this is going to happen. Now, what do, what do most, most atheists hope that ha- happens? What they hope is that when they die, they're just dead. That's, that's what this guy was saying. He said, I, I'm, I'm hoping, wishful thinking, I'm hoping that when I die, I'm dead. And I think, yuck, is that all? I mean, you die, you live your life, there's no purpose, you're, you're just an accident. That's what evolutionary theory theory tells us. And so you die and you're dead, and eventually you're just so much compost. 
And I think, well, what, a, what a sad way to believe about your life. But the Christian's hope is different. The Christian's hope is a confident expectation. Look at it again. We wait eagerly. That is a confident expectation of the reality that is to come. Because you're not an accident. And if you are in Christ, God does have a purpose for your life that is good and that will ultimately culminate in the groaning that you do here being answered with a transformation and a brand new body. Wow. Okay, now, that, that's just a, a little bit. We're not even to the second kind of suffering yet, but hang on. How, this is so important. How does Paul say we develop that kind of hope? It goes right with what we're talking about. Be patient in suffering. Now, now, now watch what he says. This is back in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we don't work for our salvation, do we? We receive it as a gift. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That eager anticipation of the glory of God. But how do we develop that hope? Look at it. He goes on to say more than that. We rejoice in our, say the word with me, sufferings. Do you? Paul says that's the only way we're going to develop this hope. We rejoice in our sufferings because if, if, if we're rejoicing, if we're enduring bravely and patiently, then we can know that suffering produces something. It produces endurance. And endurance is going to produce something else. If we continue, it produces character. And character produces that thing that we're after Hope, and hope does not disappoint. It doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so if you don't have hope, it could be because you don't have that Christian character to withstand trials because you have not learned endurance because you're not rejoicing in suffering. You just step back. Folks, we all suffer whether or not we believe in God. And, and during the course of our life, it'll be to one degree or another, but we will all suffer it. And I have found this, that those who have suffered will say to me, I can get through this if I just see some kind of plan. If I, can, I, if I can just see some kind of purpose or hope in our suffering. I, I will never forget years ago in another church. By the way, when I talk about people who've come to me and talk to me, I don't use illustrations of people in this church. That would not be wise. And so I always say in another church long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. But seriously, this person came to me, and this 
This individual had been living at the apex of our American dream and was a part of our church and a a, a contributor uh, just in every conceivable way. And then things began to go south in a hurry. And it was it was it wasn't quite what Job went through, but it felt like it to this individual. They just lost just lost everything. He came in to see me, and I, I, I will never forget, I, I, you know, praying as a, as a young pastor, what, what do, how do I respond to this? And, and he, this, this individual was so angry with God. I just do not understand. I've been faithful. See, it, it's a little bit of that works theology. Maybe I was preaching too much works in those days and not enough grace. A little bit of that works theology. I've been faithful. I've given my tithe. Literally, that was one of the statements. And so why is all of this stuff happening to me? I just don't know if I want to follow God anymore. And, and in a flash of insight, I hope it was insight. I hope it was the Holy Spirit. I, I responded. I was listening, trying to listen carefully and compassionately. But something nudged me to say to this person, then let me help you. And that individual said, what? If you, you sound like you want to divorce God. You don't want to follow him anymore. Do you want me to help you, walk you through that and just kind of maybe do a little thing where I, kind of a formal thing where you, just divorce God and go your own way. And that shocked this individual so much that then we could begin to talk about what we've been talking about right here this morning about hope and about suffering having a plan and a purpose. And many times we can't see that. Most of the times I don't believe we, we will immediately understand or see God's purpose in our suffering, but it is there. Let me give you a couple of verses. I'm going to give you one that I call the 50-20 perspective or principle. The 50-20. It's out of Genesis 50-20. These two verses that I'm going to give you ought to be the foundation upon which you build your theology of suffering in the life of a Christian. Well, that's too abstract. On which you build your theology of your suffering as a follower of Christ. The life of Joseph, he, he went through a lot. He was looking at people who were, it, it wronged him, his brothers. And most of you know the story. If you don't, it's a fascinating story. Go back and read it. And, and uh, here's, here's basically what he said at the end of this whole time. And he had been through the mill, I, I promise you. But he had been elevated because of his faithfulness. Now still, have you ever thought about this? Joseph never owned a thing. You, you ever considered that? He was second only to Pharaoh in Egypt, and and yet he never owned a thing. He was a steward. He never, get this right, he never owned a thing. He would have had to have stolen from Pharaoh to give Pharaoh a gift. So next time you think, well, Joseph was, I mean, had all this money and all, no, he was a a steward. And that's that's the attitude that he took the entire time. But he said to his brothers when he was able to talk to him. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God 
meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, he saw an immediate result of the the keeping alive of his immediate family, but he did not see the long haul result because if they had, if the Jewish nation at that point had faded out, where would the Messiah have come from? So God was doing a work to preserve the coming of the Messiah years and years in the future. Isn't that amazing? Joseph never realized that or understood it. The other one in the New Testament is Romans 8, 28. You know this verse. I went back to the New American Standard because I think it does a better job than the ESV of translating the the gist of this. And we know that God causes, God causes all things, the good and the bad, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to, to his purpose. In other words, anything that you're going through, though you may not fully understand it, is always for his glory and for our ultimate good. One of my seminary professors, one of my favorite seminary professors, passed away a year or so ago, uh, Dr. Bill Toller. He's just such a, a godly man, and he would, he, he would give us principles like this, and then he would stop and he'd tell a story. And I, one of his stories that I have never forgotten, I might have told it here before, but it concerned when he was, he, he was uh, a younger man, much younger man, and, and he had an infant. I don't know how many kids he had at that time. I think he had two kids total. But he was shaving one day. Now, that's, that's not a big deal, is it? Except um, that this was back in the day. Now, they're making a comeback. Retro is in. Okay. And you can order these kinds of things, and they cost like a gazillion dollars. I've seen these, these shops where you, you can buy these. But back in the day, some of you men remember shaving with what they called safety razors? Well, yeah. That was a safety razor, and you would put it in. You would screw that thing open, put it in, and then you would shave. Well, he had just changed blades. And so he had put the, the, the used blade, which was still incredibly sharp on the the edge of the sink because he was going to throw it away when he finished shaving and so he was shaving and all of a sudden there was a flash out of the he just saw it out of the corner of his eyes and reacted more than anything and reached down and grabbed the chubby little fingers hands of his daughter reaching up to grab that razor blade All she saw was something glittery and shiny. And she said, I want that. But her dad knew better. Grabbed her arm and said, uh-uh. And she said, uh-huh. He said, uh-uh. And he won. And that's a simple story. Just there are times when you and I may not get what God is up to, but it is Always, because he is, and we see this later in the story of Job, he is merciful and he is compassionate. So that's how we deal with one kind of suffering, the universal kind of suffering. But there's another kind of suffering that has come, and it may come, it will come in one form or another to you if you're seeking to live out what the Christian life is all about. And that's what he is referring to here, prophetic suffering. Or we could call it apostolic suffering. Now, again, who were the prophets? 
The prophets were God's chosen men. They were given a commission to speak his truth. And sometimes to the Gentile nations, there were two prophets who spoke specifically to the Gentile nations. Remember who they were? You remember one of them, Jonah. He, he was the disobedient prophet, and he was sent to, to preach at Nineveh. But Obadiah was given the task to go and preach against Edom. It came from Esau, the brother of Jacob. And so these prophets were sent out to speak to God's people and sometimes to the, to the disobedient nations of the world. And uh, let, me just, let me just show you a little bit from Hebrews. I've, I've kind of compacted it. Uh, because I want to read a passage uh, in a few minutes. I was going to read this originally. Um, but, but in this passage of Scripture where Paul talks, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews talks about uh, the, the hall of fame of faith, all of these people of faith. And so he gets almost to the end and he says, time would fail me to tell of, and he inserts a few names, but he ends up talking about the prophets. And he says these words, some were tortured. So here's, here's a prophet's life. We're going to go to one of the prophets in a minute and just see how this plays out. Some were tortured. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. That story is not in the Bible, but this is, and so we know it's true it's most likely Isaiah, because history, the people who've written, indicated that it was him. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. So, you get a picture of the prophets. You got a picture of the prophets, right? Speaking God's words, God's words, being faithful in the face of this, and here's what James is saying. I want you, Christian, to be patient, endure bravely, just like a prophet would. In other words, I want you to keep on speaking truth wherever you are, in your arena of life. Even when you are opposed, and even when you are persecuted, and yes, even when you are martyred. This kind of suffering is different. It's suffering for the cause of Christ specifically. That's what prophetic or apostolic suffering is all about. Now, I want you to take your Bible or just listen along to this because we're going to jump over to Jeremiah. And I want you to look at the calling of Jeremiah. This is a great story. I thought about using Isaiah. Another great story of a calling. Remember Isaiah, saw the Lord high and lifted up. Who shall go? For me, And he said, here am I, send me. And, and even in that story, the Lord comes back and says, here's your, here's your calling. This is what I'm setting you to do. And even Isaiah said, whoa. I mean, I, I thought this was going to be great, but how long do I have to do this? Well, Jeremiah had a similar thing, so I, I want you to just pick up on verse 4. Th again, this is a fascinating story. I'm trying to help you overlay this. I don't know what Jeremiah was doing on the day that the Lord called him. But historians will show, show. Now, students, hear me. This is key. Every commentator says, and, and it's, it's verified at least partially in Scripture, 
that Jeremiah could have been as young as 12 or 13 years old, but probably no more than 17 years old. So imagine, students, the Lord showing up, and you're, you're just minding your own business. I'm not, I don't know what Jeremiah was doing. He was probably studying. But maybe he was one of those kids that was more lively. He might have been cutting up. Today, I, I don't know, maybe you'd be on your iPhone, or maybe you would be on Facebook, or no, you don't do Facebook anymore. Instagram, or maybe on your ex, I don't know, I don't know, but the Lord showed up. Now listen to this, the word of the Lord came to me, and I, this, this is not just Jeremiah. This has implications for all of us. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Do you know that's one of the reasons why we are unapologetically pro life. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. And then I said, I can see some of you students, you know, you're hearing that kind of thing rumbling around uh, in your head, and you know it's the Lord. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, by the way, in the book of Jeremiah, I did this a while back in one of the, uh, the, the reading the, the Bible through in a year, and we, you, you go through different books. Do you know how many, I think I might have shared this, how many times it indicates in the book of Jeremiah alone that the Lord spoke to him. You may say it in different, different ways. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord spoke, the word of the Lord came. Do you know how many times it says that in the book of Jeremiah? Take a guess. I counted it, and if my count is correct, 427 times Jeremiah claims that the Lord spoke to him. You can, you can take that to the bank. Sarah Young, no. But Jeremiah, yes. Now look at what he says. Here, here's his commission. Don't say I'm only a youth. Don't use that as an excuse. Don't use the crutch of youth as an excuse for not speaking the word of God. For, all you, uh, for, for to all whom, to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. Now, why would he say that unless those people were going to oppose him? For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Verse 9, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words into your mouth. I have set uh, you this day over the nations and over kingdoms. Here, here's his commission to pluck up and break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Wow. Jump over to verse 17. But dress yourself for work, gird up your loins, if you're using the King James, and say to them everything that I command you, do not be dismayed by them. Don't be afraid, because I will confound you before them. Verse 19, they will fight against you. 
but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Now, if that was Jeremiah's calling, and we're, we're told to take from James, we're commanded as, as, as a picture of patience, take in what the prophets have done. That's part of our calling as well. Just understand that the Bible says that lost people, listen to me, hear me please, lost people are not neutral to the gospel. Paul says in in, in Romans 8 that the fleshly mind is hostility toward the gospel. In John 3, Jesus said that lost people hate the light and they hate those who bring the light. And so when we're going to people, we're excited, aren't we, about the gospel? Because we believe that we have a problem, excuse me, we have a solution for their problem. The Lord is speaking. That's all right. I will not point out George Gilbert, who... It's all right, George, hey. At least he was trying to look it up. You go, George. Okay. Well, it's still going. (laughs) Maybe I just ought to let him turn it up and we can listen to it. Okay. Okay, you got it. All right. (laughs) That was Jeremiah. (laughs) Where was I? Okay, when you, when you go to people and you've got the gospel and you're all excited and you say, hey, you know what, I've got a solution to your problem. And they may be polite, and this is overseas and this is at home, they may be polite and smiling, but they're thinking, um, I don't have the problem, you've got the problem. People are not neutral when it comes to the gospel, and that's why Jesus said to his disciples things like this, and this is this is... I, I may not read all of that. Matthew 24, 9, John 15, 8, 16, 2. They'll deliver you up to tribulation. You'll be hated. Now look at the very last phrase. Indeed, the hour is coming when those who kill you will think that he's offering service to God. You know, the, the, the people that are killing Christians probably are for the most part very sincere. Very sincere. Maybe even religionists. And they, they think they're doing a service for God in their persecution and even killing of you. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul and Peter said. For you, it's been granted. I've said this before, but think about this this phrase. For to you, it has been granted that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. That granted means given as a gift. If God gave you the gift of suffering, would you take it? We've heard a lot in the last several years about the purpose-driven life. There was a conference several years ago, and the title of it caught attention, and some didn't like it. It was called, the conference was entitled, The Purpose-Driven Death. Taken from John 21, truly, truly, I say to you, this was Jesus talking to Peter, and, and the phrase in parentheses is what we want to get at. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you were old, you'll stretch out your hands. Um, It says here, this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was going to do what? Glorify God. Stretch out your hands. Others will lead you away to crucifixion. And we know 
through reliable sources that Peter lost his life by being crucified, but not wanting to be crucified in like manner of his Lord, he said, crucify me upside down. And oh yeah, he added this, and after saying this, he said to him, come, follow me. So let me package this all together. To be patient in your suffering... is to understand that God has a purpose for everything that is going on in your life. But especially if you're suffering for prophetic kinds of things, in other words, for the cause of Christ, if you're standing for the truth, speaking the truth in love, not being obnoxious, speaking the truth in love, suffering and even martyrdom, specifically for the cause of Christ. God says that he will give you the patience to endure that. I know this is difficult. I know it's not popular. It's distasteful to many in the world and maybe even this congregation. But I I really believe, I was looking back on my own preaching, and up until a couple of years ago, I I, I didn't say a lot of this kind of stuff. And a lot of the preachers today don't. They're telling you how to get wealth and health. But they're not talking to you about being patient like the prophets suffering for Christ. The Bonhoeffer quote in your worship guide, do you see that? I quote this. He was just basically paraphrasing Luke 9:23. This will be my conclusion. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German Lutheran pastor who spoke out against the Nazi regime in World War II. He was imprisoned. Don't, don't, don't talk against the state because if you do, we'll imprison you. And he was imprisoned. He continued to talk the truth, speak the truth in love. And finally, he was hanged. And here's what he said. The cross is not the terrible end, and terrible end to an otherwise godly-fearing God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us, the cross meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, when Christ calls a student, when Christ calls a child, he bids him come and die. Pick up your cross and follow me. We've sanitized that. We've domesticated that. Do you understand what that would have been like for for the hearers? It would be like me saying to you, pick up your electric chair and follow me to the execution room. Or pick up your sword and follow me to the place of beheading. Or pick up your rope and follow me to the gallows. And when we willingly suffer and even die for what we value most, that speaks so much to a lost and a dying world. Whether you are overseas and coming up against persecution from another religion or like some of you are doing going down to Bricktown on Friday nights, and sharing your faith, even though it is 
incredibly difficult. Remember, a witness is something that you are as much as it is something that you say. Father, I thank you that you give us these insights. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room who has been unfaired against, I guess I could say. And they've had a problem making sense of that. I pray that today, as we have looked at your word, that this would be, a, 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 in a sense, a way in which they can apply these principles. Look to the prophets. See what they have done. And keep on speaking. Lord, I pray that you would help our church to understand that you have that plan and purpose, not only for the suffering and the pain that we all experience, but especially when we stand for the cause of Christ. So, Father, help us now to respond. How do we respond? Lord, if someone doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, is the day of salvation, that Jesus freely offers that gift of salvation to all who will repent of their sin, turn away from playing God and fighting God, and turn and trust Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Oh, how I pray that that would be affected today. And I pray for those of us who know you that we would take another step in the direction of not only being patient like a farmer, but patient like a prophet. Lord, I thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name now as we respond. Amen. Would you stand?